Okay, welcome everyone to the Appalachian Liturgy Top 5. I am Justin Stacy. I'm the Reverend Brigatchley. And I'm Justin Bowling. And before we get started tonight, just wanted to mention, check out our website, AppalachianLiturgy.com. Check out us on social media. Check out our YouTube. Please subscribe and give this video a like. Share it with others. And all that. So there's the housekeeping for tonight. Okay, to our top five. Appalachian Liturgy Top 5 Debate Alright, so for Top 5 tonight, we've already spoiled it from last week. We are doing <laughs> fan questions. Ruined. It's ruined. <laughs> fan questions. Top 5 fan questions. It's probably more accurately Top 5-ish fan questions. Because if we have more time, we are going to go through more than 5. So yeah, honorable mentions. We'll promise five, but not do. That's right. That's right. Everything else is honorable mentions. So you can get mad at us that we chose some some questions over others, I guess. But <laughs> all right. So let's get started. The, there were some really interesting questions that popped up. There were some not interesting questions too. There were some not interesting questions. I will mention one at the very end. Okay. Um, but you got to yeah. hang around to hear it. Huh? Yeah, at the very end, it's, it's it's a great not it's a not great question. I will say I've had fun thinking about people's questions. I mean, I wish they would send more stuff in. Like, right, it, there are yeah, so I many would, good questions. I mean, there's no way that there's some of these that we could talk about all of these in one sitting. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, honestly, periodically we should probably reach out to you know the said fans and see if they have any more questions because this is what we need. This is going to spawn topics for our podcast Well, outside of this I mean, episode. when I'm listening or watching a podcast, I always have questions. Sometimes they're ridiculous. Like, I remember one time we, when we were um, with Christian Taylor, I was, my question to her was going to be what shirt she had on because her shirt was so cool. You know, like I wanted to know where she got it or what was that in the background or, you know. Yeah, I can where, answer that. I can answer the shirt question. That was uh her movie her, her movie mm -hmm. her documentary yeah. um but yeah so i mean I, i'm always like people will mention things and i'll be like oh did did they say they had a dog <laughs> like i mean it doesn't have to be all serious stuff right but all right send us questions. so uh let's get started how about um bowling do you want to choose our first question for the night sure so my favorite one was is the belief in aliens compatible with Christianity? And I have a lot of thoughts on this, and this is a topic I've actually thought about quite a bit, but I'll, I'll let you all kind of bounce it first if you want before I just kind of talk for an hour. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I would say yes. I haven't thought that much about it, <laughs> to be honest. And I do kind of believe in aliens. You know, I think that it's reasonable to believe that there is a, a, a an intelligent species that's not us that you know it's somewhere out in space so i don't have any issues believing in aliens and i think it's compatible with my faith so yeah i mean i doing youth ministry this came up a lot um this was a question and were dinosaurs on the ark was another question that came up all the time but anyway or this is a little off topic, but I've actually had people ask me if it's anti-Christian to believe that there were dinosaurs that, you know, but we can talk about that another time. But as far as aliens, 
I don't know that it's a, a deep theological stance, but it seems like an awful big waste if God created this enormous universe to there not be other um, intelligent life out there. I do think that uh, in Genesis, you know, it tells us that we are made in God's image, which kind of infers that maybe there's something else out there, in my opinion. I don't know. So y'all can email me at brooke at grayumc.org to tell me how <laughs> ridiculous how that is. You are. Yeah. Um, but uh, so bowling, but I'm interested to hear what you, because you said you thought about this a lot. Like so I find this a very interesting topic. So I, I definitely believe that it's definitely compatible with Christianity. I would even go a little bit farther and say like, it's possible that aliens might be able to become Christians because this is something uh, well, like, if you look at it in a historical context, it's not that different from when you think about when, uh, the old world discovered the new world because to them, they found this group of people and like, there's no way these people are descended from Adam. And there was theological debates in the 1500s about whether or not these, you know, native Americans had souls or something. And eventually Christianity came to the conclusion that, yeah, they did, even though they didn't understand how these people not be descended from Adam or being created. And so like, that was a problem we already had to wrestle with. I'd say. And there was a guy that came to St. Anne's about two or three years ago. His name's uh, brother guy Consomago. He was the head of the, uh, Vatican Observatory, and he wrote a book called Would You Baptize an Alien? And he winds up talking a lot about that, and that's his same type of uh, arguments for it. And I think there's been similar writings like that. And actually, speaking of books. Uh, oh, we even have a book. It's show and tell. <laughs> should have prepared better. I actually have a book here, too. It's called Eiffelheim, and it's a story uh, set in the Middle Ages in Middle Age Germany. And it's like people are discovering it in the modern age and they find out that there was this group of aliens that visited Germany in the Middle Ages. And it talks about like, the, uh, it's a Christian um, priest that winds up finding the aliens and he d has a hard time on like how he's supposed to uh, interact with them. He like, winds, up, winds up writing to his bishop and like arguing about the theological you know, significance of that. So yeah, I've, I've, I think it's a very fun topic and it, I think it has a lot of uh, uh, correlation to um, you know, like, like I said, the new world discovering, being discovered. And, and also the fact about like, in the New Testament, it talks about the cosmos are like, you know, going to be renewed. It's like all of creation was uh, uh, redeemed by Christ. And so I think there's that, that possibility as well. So yeah, I definitely think it's compatible. And I think it's so compatible that the aliens could even be Christian. So all I can think about while you were talking is like, when we find out that there are aliens and they're in orbit and or whatever and everybody in the world's wanting to like preemptively strike and bowling is going to be the one running around saying don't wait i have pamphlets printed and yes. ready to deliver to the aliens <laughs> yes <laughs> these are our christian brethren <laughs> yeah I, you know i i would be curious I, I guess i have thought a bit about like if when we meet aliens will they have some kind of knowledge of of a god like what will be their knowledge or or is it nothing like are they more i mean because in my personal Lewis opinion wrote about it too sorry i forgot about that one he has a whole space trilogy about meeting aliens so i mean oh, wow I, I haven't I, read that any intelligent life form wrestles with creation what it, it how did we get here or I would think they would. I mean, I, that cannot be if they're aliens. And, and this is so weird that we're having this conversation. But assuming they're aliens, they would. I would think they would be having the same. What? 
where did they come from? What is their purpose? What happens when they, I mean, that's just like higher level thinking of. Right. Yeah. And that's why I interrupted Justin. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. But what you were saying is what put it off in my mind is because the aliens in his trilogy have not fallen. They never had a fall. Mm. And so like the theological implications of that are really fun to work through in those. So they weren't under sin, basically. Yeah. But that's a wow, sinful that's people came and uh, took our evangelizations. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> it is. It, yeah, it's, it's a fun book. There's a lot of writings out there about it. And I don't think there's really anything fundamentally incompatible. Yeah. Well, it seems like you're just going to plug books all night tonight. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to make a list of books that. That's right. That we bowling best space tonight. Christianity books. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's interesting. So I, I guess the answer is so, we all believe yes. <laughs> so whatever reader or listener, reader, listener suggested that topic. Great, great question. That was a great question. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, let's see. I guess I will choose the next one. So the one I chose, and I, you know, I guess it's because my dog's been on my mind the past couple of days. I had to take him to the vet yesterday and he's had a, a cough like a hack over the past month and was getting a little concerned he also needed his shots so it was a good time to, to get that checked out and they test him for heartworms come back today negative so he does not have heartworms they said that it's probably just because he's overweight like he's gained five pounds since the last time he went to the vet and that when, in small dogs when they get overweight their trachea starts kind of closing in their neck so that's probably why he hacks all the time. So it's like solution, let it help him lose weight. <laughs> so um, that's that's why this question was on my mind. But somebody submitted, do all dogs go to heaven? And that's definitely Have you not something. seen the movie? Yeah. I mean, no, that's a theological the movie. Right? Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, right? Disney <laughs> answers this. Um, but yeah. So do, do all dogs go to heaven? It's something that, Renee and I have definitely talked about many times, specifically like animals in general. Mm-hmm. Do they go to heaven? I, I think I've changed my view on this because before I probably would have said no, just because I I always felt that animals don't really have that soul. So there would be nothing to go to heaven for, you know, they're, they're just physical beings. But I believe I've changed because in my opinion, they bring us such joy that they're even if it's not the same version or the same animal per se, there would have to be animals in a heaven, you know, in a paradise. And and uh, here, I guess we're taught we are talking about the 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 heaven afterlife. We're not really talking about like the eternal kingdom at the end of time. We're talking about heaven afterlife. And I would think that it would have to be in, in some form or fashion, just because it makes us happy and it brings us love. And so, yes, I think that in some form or fashion, they are in heaven and it's there for our, you know, enjoyment, our love, um, and their love to give to us, you know, it's just a way for God to express love is through animals. Um, yeah, thoughts. Well, I, I don't know that. I mean, I think this is a question that, you know, people wrestle with all the time and in, 
in the last 25 years of ministry or so, early on in, in the 25 years, this was never a conversation that anybody would have had. And then, you know, over the last 20 some years, you've seen things like um, pet crematoriums and pet cemetery, look, not the scary pet cemeteries, but you know, like, <laughs> like real cemeteries. And so this question, I mean, we've actually been asked to preside over funerals for animals. And, um, but it's funny because John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, which became the Methodist church, preached a thousand sermons. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but so all of his sermons are written down. You can read them and they're numbered. So like number such and such, but sermon number 60 on, it's called the general deliverance. It's based on Romans eight. And he makes a very strong argument that animals are always included in heaven because they can't sin but that they suffer the effects of sin. And so that God redeems them in that manner. Um, I mean, it's a lot more in depth than that, but, um, but yeah, that's, there's a, I mean, it's a huge sermon that he says. So I've used it lots of times when people are talking about their animals. I'm like, yeah, like, so. Awesome. Uh, didn't the Pope release some kind of statement of a couple years ago on this bowling? I think it was like a little girl came up to him and asked if her dog was in heaven or something like that, because it's mm -hmm. a, Aquinas did not believe that animals went to heaven. He more so believed that, you know, there would be animals in heaven, but they're not going to be like, you know, they don't have mm -hmm. eternal souls. So that's kind of what you were saying at first. And his response was something to the effect of, you know, if it's impossible for us to be happy without animals in heaven, obviously mm -hmm. God would have them there. And I, I kind of fall on the side of, well, you know, that makes sense. And I'm open to that possibility, but I lean more towards, so the, there will be animals there, you know, in, in some form or fashion, like you were saying, I don't know if I believe that, you know, uh, an animal has eternal life the same way that humans yeah. do, but I'm definitely open to that possibility. I'm not like going to advocate against it. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. which brings me to, to another topic, a related topic, which is, the animal spirits. So obviously a lot of people believe in animal spirits and actually my neighbor here recently, he, one of his cats got killed in the road and it was one of his favorite cats, you know, and he has a lot of cats, but it was like the one that was, he, he was the closest to and it, it got killed in the road. And he swears to me that that cat is still around at his house. That I he have can, heard that, especially with cats. I've heard so many people say, I yeah. just feel like that cat's still around. And yeah, um, his, his daughter even says, because his daughter stays with him some, and she says that, yes, that there is something in that house that is opening doors like, like the cat used to do, just crack it open, and that they can feel something jump on them as if it's a, it's a cat or, you know, something. And, but there's nothing there. So they both swear that it's that cat spirit. And I'm open to that possibility. Like, I, I don't want to, to shut down any kind of possibility of that. I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, a, an animal like that could have an eternal soul or a spirit that doesn't, you know, die when they die and something happens well, to them. Yeah. I mean, I think you could make the argument that our pets love us, right? Like, 
as a pet could. They they obviously care for us. They show affection to us. Now people could art. Aaron would argue that they show us affection just to get what they want, right? Like they want to be petted because it feels good, or they want to be fed, or they whatever, you know. But that animal shows affection, and if animals show love and God is love, then they have yeah. to have some kind of connection there. You know, I think you could make that argument. John Wesley furthered his argument that and said that uh, his belief was that as Christians, we had a moral obligation to care for animals. Um, sure. And, and I mean, he goes into detail about if you have a pet, how you should treat them. And, you know, I mean, it was, uh, of course, John Wesley wrote prolifically about, he, he thought that he was the expert on everything, but um yeah, you think of St. Francis and his connection to animals. Yeah. Pretty prominent. Well, I mean, in the Methodist church and, and bowling, I'm assuming in the Catholic church too, there's a blessing of the animals service. Yep. Um, and we've, you know, we've had so, uh, iguanas and everything yeah, you can think of at the church. <laughs> yeah. Feast of St. Francis. You know, so, I mean. Uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, yeah, I, it I is. don't see and any I reason think it's one of those that we animals. probably don't have any direct revelation. And so like the theological musings yeah. of people, is it's a fun, it's a fun topic. Yeah. Just, well, watch, I mean, church just tradition, watch Disney movies. Church tradition kind of backs us up and thinking that there's more to animals than just right. their, their being here on earth. And, you know, I mean, there are just some things that scripture doesn't address. Yep. That is true. Okay, Brooke, what question oh, did you no, want? Oh, I have to choose a question? Yep. I told y'all I'm not good at choosing these questions. Like I'm reading, there's so many good ones. And there's one that I want to say for kingdom living. So we did have a question ask if we think that Christian Christianity's evangelism has hurt more people than it's helped in the modern age. And if we agree with that, what do we think our approach to growing new disciples would be? And you know, it's, it's kind of been my life's work, actually. <laughs> so, um, but I do think that some of, especially in the Western world and the United States, especially Northern um, North America, that kind of those things that are evangelical um, practices have been very harmful. Um, you know, I think about televangelists and, and the Sunday morning shows, um, where you had the screaming and the yelling and the fire and the brimstone. Um, I, and again, I'll just go ahead and give you my email address before I even say this. It's brooke at grayumc.org. Um, I think that fire and brimstone preaching is the absolute worst uh, thing that could happen in a church because anytime somebody's motivated out of fear, it's a temporary motivation. So, um, you know, when you're condemning people to hell and sending them to hell and they decide to follow Jesus, I'm not sure that always sticks really well. <laughs> um, so I think that's hurtful. And I, I'm divided on where things like knocking on your neighbor's door is, is helpful or harmful. Um, because I think people come to know Jesus because of other people. And I think sometimes we have left that to quote the professionals, like let the preachers do it, let the preachers go out and take, you know, get people in the church and, or get to know Jesus. So I think the way we go about doing it can be really harmful. And um, what I will say is, you know, in the, in the last couple of generations, this has really, really changed. 
Um, people don't know how to have conversations about their relationship with, with Christ. And they don't know how to go about inviting people to church. And they feel like they're invading people's privacy if they even mentioned it. Um, so I, I do think this idea of going door to door and forcing your way in and that kind of thing is harmful. I think the other thing that may be just as equally as harmful are all these stupid tracks that show up everywhere. Like, I don't want to see a track about Jesus on the toilet seat. Like, that's a, I, I just don't know of anybody that's going to know of Jesus because they've walked into a urinal and seen a, a track <laughs> sitting up there. Like, so... I have to say that, yes, I think some of our evangelism tactics have been very hurtful um, to the cause of, of people knowing Jesus, which is really what a disciple is, is someone who wants to follow Jesus, not just know Jesus. I about definitely ag- about- no, I think, I think you're dead on. Like the, the part you said about the, uh, you know, running, learning through relationships that reminded me like of the, uh, what was it Paul wrote to Timothy saying like, you continue what you believe because you know who you've learned it from something. That's like, what was what convinced Paul knows that's what was convincing to Timothy. But I, I think my only disagreement is I don't think it's necessarily unique to the modern age. I think we've always kind of struggled side by side, you know, the wheats and the, the tares, like with, there's some people doing the right evangelization and there's some people doing wrong evangelization. Like you even look in the early church, there were people who wanted to be a lot more militant, the zealots mm-hmm. about their, the way they were spreading the gospel. You can think of a lot of things that have went wrong in mission trips um, throughout the ages. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, we're, we're always called to push back against that. And, and it's it, the, the wrongs, side of evangelization always comes in a different form so the way we have to respond to it correctly is always a new evangelization type method too like i know in the in the catholic church there's a push started with like a uh, john paul ii that's called like the new evangelization that's talking about that a new way to kind of approach uh, uh telling people about christ and it's a pushback against exactly what you're talking about that kind of pushy tele televangelist method of where you, you know that's a lot of people's first impression of christianity and that's not, that's not positive. Yep. I really don't have anything else to say besides what you are saying. So I'm just going to give it to you. And I think, I think we sometimes, you know, I think even bad efforts come from a good place, right? Like, and I think we have to remember that. I just think we have to evaluate what's effective and what's not effective. And, um, you know, I, I think too, when, when people are thinking about wanting to share their faith, the easiest thing in the world to do is say, Hey, come to church with me, which is not a bad thing. So please don't email me and tell me it's a bad thing. But, um, I think where you invite people to, so which, where's the first place that people invite them to is worship on Sunday mornings, right? Well, if you have no relationship with Jesus Christ, or you don't understand God to be a loving God, you don't worship them like it would be a foreign concept to do that right so you go in and you're worshiping and you don't know when to sit down stand up shut up talk sing. you don't I mean it's just it's it's really uncomfortable and so when that's the first introduction you have to a church it's like I think I've told it's like going on a first date and going to a movie and you don't really know anything about the person when you leave (laughs) Um, you don't necessarily get to know what it means to follow Jesus by going to a worship service. So the funny thing is in the Wesleyan movement, 
that well, you would never invite a, a, someone who is exploring the idea of being a Christian or just interested in it. You would never invite them to a worship service first. You, you kind of, I don't want to use the word earn your right to come to a worship service, but you, you kind of got to know people and you were invited into that worship service so that you weren't awkward. You didn't feel awkward. You didn't, you know. It's funny that you say that. I've never kind of put the reasoning behind it, but in traditional, you know, Catholic uh, catechism process, like catechumens, people who are coming into the church, the way that it had been handled for millennia was that they would come in and listen to the readings. And then the people who were coming in would leave and go off to their own thing to learn more about what they were worshiping. So they would skip the liturgy of the Eucharist, the actual, you know, more worship part of it. But I, I think exactly what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Of that. I never had thought about it that way. I, I like where you're going. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a big pushback right now against, uh, well, I don't know if everybody hears it, but you know, this, this pushback about church being entertainment, right. That church is yeah. entertainment, but if you're trying to attract people who know nothing about God and nothing about Jesus to your worship service, and you're trying to hook them so that, that they're stay interested to learn, if that's where you're doing your primary teaching about who Jesus is, then you're going to have to have all the bells and whistles and the flashing lights and the smoke screens and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that people like, you know, you're going to have um, so many emails after this. Bro. I know. Right. Like I'm just racking them up. I can hear it. Ding, ding, ding. Um, but I just, I think you have to be mindful of that. Um, no. Agreed. All right. Let's move on to another question. So th that was three out of five. So we've got two more. Any, any question, any of these questions floating your boat here? Oh, are we, uh, whose turn is it? Does it matter? Uh, anybody. Uh, so one that I think. Oh, go ahead. Nope. 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 I'm, I'm not. A... <laughs> okay. Number the, is there a healthy way to mix Christian and political beliefs or should they remain separate? I feel like that's pretty relevant to our podcast in things that we've talked about. So how about that question? I am going to come out and strongly say that they should not remain separate because you don't put things that are important in your life into little bubbles. If you're, yeah. you know, Christianity is such an important part of you, it should come out in other areas. Now, I'm not saying that means that that translates to we should all form a theocracy and make mm -hmm. it all only advocate <laughs> for Christian laws, be political laws or something. But no, they shouldn't be put into little bubbles. Like the, even in America, the point of America is that a lot of the multiculturalism and stuff here is that we can live our life as a Christian. You can live your life as, you know, whatever you want to, but you can do it publicly and you don't have to put that in a little box and only open it up on Sundays. Like we can, that should just come out. Yeah. Everywhere in your life. Absolutely. I would yeah, add I that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Say I don't something. know why we're all interrupting each other tonight. <laughs> it's weird, but I would add that in America, it, even though they should, shouldn't remain separate, sometimes to vote in a two-party system, you do have to prioritize. And mm -hmm. you do have to almost ignore if you want to vote for one of the two candidates. Because neither, can, neither side is, is perfect in alignment with, with Christianity. And 
you you're going to have to prioritize what your Christian beliefs are in regards to policy. And if you have the most important issue as your number one, then vote for that candidate. But that means you're probably going to be ignoring something else on the other side. And there's you can't get around that. Yeah, that's that was kind of what I was going to say is that I think the danger comes when we say that one political party represents the Christian faith and the other doesn't. Because if that's the case, then you're reading scripture through your political lens instead of looking at politics through your scriptural lens or your Christian lens. Um, And, you know, if if one political candidate is the the Christian candidate, then you've confused some things, I think. And so I think that's what makes this conversation really difficult, because what I might prioritize might be different than what you prioritize. And so we could come from the same faith traditions and backgrounds and be faithful followers of Christ and put an emphasis on something different and cause us to look at the political system differently um you know i I think of it in the same lens as um shopping or or does your christian faith influence who you do business with Mm -hmm. you know and it's obvious that we're in a culture that does because churches advertise whether christian businesses or not not everybody that's a christian business does this but you know um but they'll put that out there. So I just was in a Facebook group for a clergy woman and uh, this became a pet peeve of mine. Somebody wanted to know who of us left shopped with a particular online retailer because they are of the opinion now that this online realtor is of Satan and that we should all be ashamed if we, you know, and, and I've, I've seen and heard this done with other places too. So, I mean, I think you have to let your faith help guide those decisions, but you have to make sure that you're not inventing things in the faith to cause you to go one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the uh, influence is healthy when it's one way too. Like if my political, like you said, if I'm reading my political party into what my religious beliefs are, that's probably a problem. Yeah. And for, for me, a a huge turnoff is when any party, any candidate comes off as like, as part of their campaign, they are the Christian candidate. They are calling themselves that Mm -hmm. then I'm I'm probably done. (laughs) So that, that just, that's a, a big pet peeve of mine. I think a lot, a lot of the relevant information that we, kind of touched on with Christian voting was in one of the episodes back in November with Nate. So go back and and watch that. We talked a lot about this and talked a lot about the demographics that voted for Democrat and demographics that voted for Republican. So a lot of that is in that discussion, but yeah. Yeah. I I think there's always, you know, coming up on the political season, um, there's always this controversy of whether or not churches should be involved and what that means and you know it's it's perfectly okay legally for churches to talk and have forums as long as they do it for both sides of an issue instead of just one issue so legally they're able to do that most often churches don't want to do that they want to pick whatever side of the coin you know 
Um, and, and we need to be careful about that because it does then lead credence to this person being the Christian candidate. And that's a lot of weight to, to bear for one thing. Um, but. Yeah, but it does win a lot of votes. It does. Unfortunately. Okay. Well, that was my question. So y'all choose one. One more. Let's look in. Let's do the Sunday of Sabbath. I think we, okay. yeah, had a couple okay. people say they like that one too. Why do we so Christians what, treat Sunday as a Sabbath when the historical Jew, Jewish Sabbath day is on Saturday? When did that change? Well, 1954. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think I really started thinking about this one and it's a roundabout, so stick with me, a roundabout way that I started really thinking about this and reading on it and studying it was, why Sundays in Lent are considered feast days. Like I was like, why do I get to skip my Lenten sacrifice on Sunday? Like this doesn't make sense. And when you, you know, we started worshiping as Christians on Sundays, Sundays are feast days because we're celebrating the rising of Christ every Sunday. And we gather to worship, we are celebrating the rising of Christ. And so um, I think that is when kind of this, the switch happened you know, early on in Christianity, if you were a, a Jew that was following Christ, you still observed Sabbath on Saturday. Um, you know, there's a whole denomination that has been formed on this very thing. Um, your Seventh-day Adventists worship and gather for church school. They, they call it Saturday school <laughs> on Saturday. Um, but Christian churches normally gather on Sundays. Yeah, a, a little more context too. Um, we know from Revelation when John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, the Lord's day being Sunday, because it's the day, like Brooke said, he rose from the dead. And 100% what you said, there, this was kind of one of those early church issues that there a lot of people fell down on different sides. Like, you know, there were a lot of debates about how Jewish should the church should be that we even read about some of it in the, in the uh, new Testament with like mm -hmm. how circumcision should fit in or what foods you can eat and stuff like that. And which day we should treat as Sabbath was one of those that the church was mostly pretty split on. And, and I know a lot of push actually came from a practical point of view. Once uh, Christianity spread a lot more that, you know, you have this, what's now become the biggest religion in the Roman empire. And half the people are off on Saturdays. Half the people are off on Sundays. And the emperor at some point was like, this is ridiculous. We have five days that we can get something done. And he pushed the church a little bit. So like, maybe there's some influence there, but the church was the one that came together and made a decision that it's, we're going to treat Sunday because otherwise it's, it's getting a little out of hand here. But yeah. So I wonder if the controversy here, because it, it seems like at least some people think that this is a controversial thing that it, that it changed. I mean, I would say that I would argue that the seventh day Adventists probably believe that that's so pretty core. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is it because, uh, I guess the, the controversy around church authority versus biblical authority I, that's part of what I have heard people bring up. Like, did the, did the church have the authority to do this? Yeah. And, and I, I think... Or is it really more just an anti-Catholic pushback? Like, uh, is, do you think that that goes into it at all? Here's what... Uh, I think ahead. people get caught up on how everybody else is observing Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Jesus tells us that Sabbath 
that man was not created for Sabbath, but Sabbath was created for man. I can tell you that as a pastor, there is nothing about a Sunday that is Sabbath for me. You don't rest preaching and preparing for preaching? Nothing. (laughs) I mean, you know, I'm so exhausted come Sunday night that it's crazy because of all the things that have to happen on a Sunday for everybody else to observe (laughs) Sabbath. I mean, so, I mean, I think we get caught up in this. You know, when really Sabbath is about resting our, our physical bodies, as well as our spiritual uh, side and our mental side and just resting in God. And I think too, and this doesn't get talked about a lot, but we need to be reminded that the world doesn't revolve around us and that the world will not stop spinning if we stop for a little while. I mean, I, I tend to think that there are some of us in this world who think, if I'm not constantly in motion doing something, then everything, and we put way too much importance on ourselves. I mean, it is a reminder that God is in control and it is not our responsibility to keep the world running. So it goes back to the conversation that we've had recently in that it's not the letter of the law. It's the principle. It's... My question would be this. I don't know anybody in this modern day and age, and I'm sure there are some people. So just go ahead and email me and tell me that you're one of them. Um, you want a lot of people to email you. You, are, yeah. you have asked for it all night. <laughs> I'm just being silly because I know people get so bent out of shame about this stuff. Um, th- th- I mean, we have lived in place. Let me just put it. We have lived in places that there's absolutely no way that we could have mowed our yard on Sunday because we would have heard about it the next week, but everybody in the neighborhood is allowed to mow their yard on Sunday, but the preacher can't because that'd be breaking the Sabbath, you know? So I guess what I'm saying is that I think this is one of the most hypocritical issues that we Mm -hmm. have in the church, you know, and I've seen people teach on Sabbath and say, well, we're no longer going to cook on Sundays. Then we're just going to go out and eat. Hello. You're making the people that you're making somebody else. Work. That's right. Like, That's right. how is this not hypocritical? Like, you know, so um, I don't know. So I have I have a big issue with Sabbath. I'll it, just say well, I'm I'm an advocate for treating the Saturday as a Sabbath and Sunday as the Lord's Day and and having two days of rest. I'm an advocate good. of that. You, you want to go back to the, the first couple centuries where we had both That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I'm for it. <laughs> that was a really good question. Okay, well that's our that's our five, and I think we have talked for quite a while. Do we want to maybe do a couple of honorable mentions and, and close? Yeah, at least let Brooke get an honorable mention that we everybody. Oh, okay. me? No, yep. not me. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of these that we need to come back to and get. But I guess my honorable mention would be this: What book of the Bible do you struggle the most working through, and why? I don't know what the person meant by working through, if they just meant like reading it or the one that causes more I, soul grief. Yeah, I have multiple answers depending on how you interpret that. Too. <laughs> so I think the ones that probably have the most trouble reading just because they bore the bejeebers out of me would probably be Leviticus or Numbers. Like, I mean, that's where every good New Year's resolution is to read your Bible through dies. I mean, you hit those and they die. Um, I think the hardest to read because it's convicting, maybe the book of James. Um, 
And I think the hardest book to read and like wrap your mind around what's really being said is the book of Hebrews. Now it's incredibly interesting, but I think sometimes it, it's hard to, to comprehend what's going on in Hebrews. So that, that's my answer to those. Yeah. My answer was going to be the exact same that numbers, Leviticus, a lot of the old Testament books just bore the life out of me. So that's when I fail New Year's resolutions. <laughs> you can email him too because he yeah. just said those. No, email email Brooke. Testament. Just Scripture email Brooke. She'll, she'll, Justin as well to take no, this email Brooke and she'll get back to me. <laughs> what about you, Brooke? I'm kind of so, so I, I definitely thought that the Leviticus and Numbers were going to pop up, but I thought everything else was going to stick with the Old Testament type thing. But uh, uh, I, I definitely would say. You know, I think the Daniels and Revelations with the apocalyptic literature can sometimes get a little difficult in how how does this exactly apply the exact details? Like, I think you can get the meta picture overall on what they're going for, but when you get like the exact verse and like, why did Daniel write it with this exact way or something like that? That can be tough. Um, in terms of reading through too, though, and this one's going to sound weird because I love the Psalms. I absolutely love them. I struggle so much. It's like if I'm trying to do like one of the read straight through the Bibles, Oh my gosh, the reading straight through the Psalms can just get so repetitive. Yeah, yes. And yeah. if you're not depressed before you read Psalms, sometimes yeah, you're good depressed while you're reading. I mean, you know, there is, I agree. With it, you. It, I, they, they fit so much better when you like read one or two and then, you know, come back to them later or something like that. But trying to read them back to back is just, that's not really what they're meant for. And so I don't know why I do that. But a lot of plans put them that way. So I try it and it's, it's, right. it's hard. I tell question. you, my favorite Bible study I've ever, ever done is by uh, Beth Moore, and it's the Beth story Moore. of David, and it was the very first Bible study I probably did, like really in-depth kind of Bible study, and she, you read the Psalms as you read what's going on in David's life, and so you really get a feel for oh, like cool. the, it, yeah, it was, it's, it's a heart like his, um, and just, I absolutely love it. I mean, all these years later, I probably did it 30 years ago and I still think about that. Um, and it was the first time that I really thought about, man, there was somebody going through some kind of trial, <laughs> you know, while writing this. So. Awesome. Okay. So I guess the last question that I want to bring up and at the start the of the show, honorable mention. Yeah, the start of the show, we <laughs> kind of indicated this was a bad question or, or dishonorable mention. That's probably not fair. Any question is is good. So submit any question. Right. It's just this was the most not relevant and not what we were thinking of to answer. But the question is, when will you start selling ads on the podcast? And the answer is, haven't really thought about it. And I don't know when or if that's going to happen. My fear is when we open it up, you know, and I, I, this is for local ads, you know, this is not like YouTube, you know, uh, adding ads to our videos or whatever, because that could happen at some point. And when it does, YouTube does its thing, right? But this is local ads. And my fear is when we open that window, then we could end up in a situation where all we're doing is talking about, you know, sponsors or, uh, filling up our screen with, with ads of all the different places that we're familiar with that might listen to the podcast. 
So while that would be beneficial to us in terms of money, I guess revenue, I don't know that I want the podcast to kind of do that. What I will say that when we have a guest who has something that they might need to advertise, then go ahead and do it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't mind that at all. And if we're ever in a discussion where we're talking about, I don't know, Pat's Diner, and I'm bringing it up right now, so here, here is the ad. This is suspicious. Pat's Diner. I know, right? Or, <laughs> That's what I, I had. Mean, if you're That's in Sevierville, go bank at Tennessee State Bank. <laughs> That's right. So Pat's Diner, that's what I had for uh, dinner today. And I'm I had chopped steak, and it was amazing. It is amazing. But, you know, check it out. If you're ever in Lebanon, Pat's Diner. Just when we're naturally talking about things, that will be the plug for those those businesses. But I don't know that we'll ever get to the point where we are literally accepting money to advertise businesses. Do, do you know why this makes me really happy? Why? Because you can't bring us some silly skit that bowling and I have to do as a commercial. As a commercial? <laughs> I mean, you're just saying, I mean, you're, I mean, you're going to change my mind on this. It's in You're going to change my mind right? on this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> now, it's, yeah, it's, I, I would say that it's not. It's not in stone. Like it could change, and we we like if the desire's there enough, we could decide. Okay, yeah, we're going to do this. But I fear that we're going to have. Okay, if one business gets it, then maybe you know all Lebanon businesses for my hometown anyway are going to want it. So then we're, all we're going to do is spend time doing advertisements and or you know talking about. No, you're sponsors. wrong. You just raise the money. I mean, you know, supply and demand, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm gonna be pushing so many ads now. It's gonna be I know. I mean I, I'm gonna care. Uh, I gotta finish through college. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we haven't thought a lot about it to the person that asked this. But if you're a guest on our podcast again at the and hint you know who, who, you who it was, you know who you, you are. Want. Then you can advertise whatever you need to advertise. Within reason. Answer. Within reason, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good catch. Yeah. All right. So I guess that will conclude our top five with honorable mentions and dishonorable mentions. So that was a that was pretty good. Like uh, there was a lot of that's fun. Yeah, if you yeah, like a lot it, of good I'd love to do this again. This was fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We definitely need to make a point to do, you know, the fan question top fives uh, periodically. Now we do have more questions we didn't get to. Some of the questions are going to be better fulfilled either in Kingdom Living or a topic. So that's what we're going to do. So thank you very much for all of the the questions and all the topics that you have have gave us. That's exactly the feedback we want. And just keep sending it to us. You know, whenever you think of either a top five or a topic or just have a question you want us to answer on the podcast, send it to us. We will do our best to do that. What's our email? Appalachian Liturgy at gmail.com. That is our email. And you can obviously just message us directly on any of the social medias. So, okay. Well, this was a lot of fun. So peace be to you. Have a good night. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really hope you got some enjoyment out of the podcast this week. Remember to check out our website, www.appalachianliturgy.com, and follow us on all of our social medias. If you want an easy way to support us, though, make sure to subscribe to our channels and like our videos on YouTube. 
Also, join our email list for updates and let us know how we're doing. See you next week, everyone. Apple's Literature Podcast is a JRS Studios production.